Hey, everybody, and welcome to the No Way Podcast. This week is my chance to introduce our guest, and I couldn't be more excited to welcome the incredibly talented and all-around smoke show, Praneet Akilla. Praneet is an actor of stage and screen. You may know Praneet from his work on the Netflix original series, October Faction, as well as Gil Bobsey and CW's Nancy Drew. You can also catch him on Disney Freeform's Motherland, Fort Salem. Now, if you want to watch along with this episode's No Way Scenes, head on over to our Instagram page, at No Way Podcast. Now, let's go to the movies. Praneet to the podcast to no way how you doing I am good guys thank you for having me this is great I'm very excited to ha- have you here um uh, you and I know each other uh but I actually don't even know this do you know Mike and Markian I I have run into both I'm sure at some some backstage thing or some or audition like room a, some somewhere. audition I'm sure I'm sure uh, I'm sorry to hear that they're not they're not nice people to run into um, <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> I mean, it's hard enough moving to Vancouver, you know, being like very clicky and stuff like that, and then these two assholes, you know, have to. But we're but we're all we're all prairies, though, aren't we? Are we all prairie? Calgary I'm Calgary transplant. Pretty- yeah. Do you consider yourself a prairie person in Calgary? I do. I do. But that's what I was told my whole life. You're covered in mountains. We're they have the stampede. What's more prairie than the Calgary stampede? That's true. That's true. We're talking. A lot of Saskatchewan cowboys that come into rodeo festivals year round in Calgary. So, so we so came over and prairied you up, but I don't know. Exactly. Because when, exactly. when we go from Manitoba and Saskatchewan to Alberta, it's like going away from the prairies. <laughs> it's New York. Calgary's New York, New York City. I've lumped all of Alberta out of the prairies. To me, it's like that's the beginning of the mountains. I don't consider it a prairie province. How welcoming is this conversation to you right now? <laughs> Defend why your province is a goddamn prairie. <laughs> We're the Midwest of Canada. Welcome to the show. Fuck your province. <laughs> yeah, I wish I had more times than I could say I've spent with you because every time I do, it's the best. I get, I re, I'm a big fan of you. I think we get, I think we get oh, along thanks, pretty well here. So maybe, maybe we haven't hung out because you don't like me as much as I like you. I'm not sure. That is not true. It happens a lot to you, Kayvon. We met through some uh, mutual friends in the, in the, the scene here in Vancouver. And then we did a workshop together, which Pernit actually reminded me of a little while ago. And then we spent some, we crossed paths in Winnipeg for a spell and we have even been to the movies together which uh is a real testament and we saw the rise of skywalker together and that was when i i knew you were a a movie buff and and i don't know if you remember we also we had a movie night before we went to the saw rise of skywalker we saw that's right. the last jedi what did we see we had a marathon we had a full marathon did we did with, we rewatch almost of all of them or did we just rewatch the new I think the new ones right. the new ones Kayvon, you're such a liar you're like 
I like you more. I'm like, you don't remember any of these interactions. I know. And Panita's like, dude, what are you talking about? We had a movie night. <laughs> like, you're literally like, maybe you don't remember me. Pretty we lived on the same floor. <laughs> dude, we cuddled all night and watched Star Wars. How do you not remember this? I I know. I really, I really wow. do. I, mean, I really do like you, Brittany, and I think you're a really fantastic human being. <laughs> Wherever. Uh, thanks, I don't, I don't know who you are, but I think you're great. <laughs> Please tell us what movie you brought today. Today, I have brought to you guys uh, a seminal movie in my in my childhood that I've watched thousands and thousands of times, uh, Nickelodeon's The Rugrats Movie. I am not a poopy monster! I moved to Canada in 2000, and I was, I was eight at the time, I think. You know, it was new to the country, and and I I was trying to assimilate myself by watching a bunch of American cartoons because that like I, I thought that's what people wanted to talk about in elementary school, and so it was it was Rugrats, it was Digimon, it was Pokemon, and then I went to Walmart one day and I saw that they had a giant Rugrats in Paris movie poster, and I was just like, oh, it says the release date's 2000. I was like, all right, May 2000. This is like January 2000 or something. I was just like, oh my god, this movie's gonna come out this year. And I didn't understand the concept of, like, movies being in theaters and then coming out in DVDs, like, months later. So then, right next to it, I saw Rugrats, the movie, like, on VHS, beside the poster. And I thought, I was just like, oh, my God, the movie's right here. I can just watch it right now and go home. And I I took the movie back home and I watched it and I was very disappointed that it didn't have Paris in it at all in any way shape or form. I was going to say I thought maybe you had a very confused impression of what Paris was for about a decade exactly (laughs) exactly I was just like I was like all right there's a dinosaur I guess they're gonna go on this dinosaur somewhere there's gonna be a ship somewhere they're gonna get on a ship and sail from Washington to France I don't know how that would would work but um but yeah and then I watched it and I was just like this is this movie makes me feel things they already love each other and um, I found myself crying and laughing. And um, it, what's uncanny about it, too, is my sister was uh, – my mom was pregnant with my sister at the time, too. So so that oh, cool. was that was weird. Oh, right. They're so like, you, were seeing, you, know, you were seeing your life yeah. being echoed. Were you also still not wearing pants and just a diaper? I, I was <laughs> – At eight or nine? <laughs> I was, I was, uh, I was uh, diaper pull-ups age eight. That's what I was wearing at that Wait, point in time. Wait, yeah, are yeah, you yeah, guys yeah, wearing yeah. pants right now? <laughs> Nobody's wearing pants on um, Zoom, Mike. I'm, I'm definitely not. <laughs> further and I would have needed a fresh diapy. Based off how you told me that story, were you not watching the television show? Was your introduction to these characters this movie? Yeah, I so I would I watched um I would watch like Nickelodeon cartoons and I for whatever reason like I knew Rugrats was a thing I just never really watched it that much uh-huh. and it wasn't until my friend uh, Chad in elementary school uh and again he was my first ever friend he's my first ever white friend and I was like I was very excited about yeah, that yeah, yeah. because. I always wanted like a, a like a white friend. That was my thing. Yeah, they're super fun. They're super fun. You're trying to assimilate. You're trying to assimilate. You know, you don't want to be the other. You know, I was literally the only brown kid in my class. Then they hit puberty, and then they're the worst. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. How come we always have to do what you want to do? Because. But he told me he's just like he's like oh he's like you know if you're gonna watch Nickelodeon you gotta watch Rugrats it's like the best cartoon ever and I was like all right and then and so that that was my the movie was my first introduction to the series and then I, I started watching like season one onwards and that movie came out after like season six of Rugrats so I had a lot of catching up to do. You dumb babies got a lot to learn about the facts of life. Calling all Rugrats, please come in Rugrats. 
Rugrats the movie was released on November 20th, 1998. It runs 79 minutes long and was written by David N. Weiss and J. David Stem, directed by Igor Kovalyov and Norton Vergen, who are known for the Rugrats animated series. They did a lot of the animated series direction as well. It was produced by Paramount Pictures on a budget of $24 million and grossed $141 million worldwide. So a pretty successful release for Rugrats the movie and so successful that it went on to do its sequel, Rugrats in Paris. It stars Elizabeth Daly as Tommy Pickles, Christine Cavanaugh as Chucky Finster, Kath Soucy as Philip and Lillian DeVille, Tara Strong as Dylan Pickles, and other notables are Busta Rhymes as the Reptar Wagon, Tim Curry as Rex Pester, the reporter, Whoopi Goldberg as Ranger Margaret, David Spade as Ranger Frank, and we were chatting before uh, you got here, uh, Praneet, but the, the... the Oh, are you going to do the whole rundown of the newborn song? The newborn song. We have Iggy Pop, we've got Lenny Kravitz, Beck, We've got who else? <laughs> I had no so idea. Beck? Yeah, Beck, Beck was in the Beck is in that it. just that one newborn baby song where they all piss in the air and talk about their ding dongs. It's like the most famous musicians of 1998. There's like it's insane. it's bigger than Live Aid. It's massive. <laughs> Here's some fun facts. This is Nickelodeon's first animated theatrical release, and it was the first non-Disney animated movie to gross over $100 million at the box office. Dale was originally going to be voiced by Madonna, but when Tara Strong recorded her scratch voice for the character, her impression of a baby crying was so accurate that it caused a woman in the room who had just had a baby to start lactating. Well... That's a start. Rugrats the movie has 59% on the Rotten Tomato meter, and Roger Ebert gave it two stars, and I'm just going to read a little excerpt here from his review. Trying to liberate myself from my box of space and time, I traveled in my memory back to my 10th year to ask if I would have liked Rugrats. The answer was no, but when I was eight, I might have. Is it bright, colorful, and fast-moving? Yes. Is it for me? No. Would I recommend it to kids? Yeah, my guess is they would like it. I would also recommend it to those who like The Water Boy because Rugrats is the next step up in the ladder of cinematic evolution. And that's what I call high quality tool. If you've never seen the Rugrats movie before, here it is for you. Tommy Pickles faces responsibility when Dylan Pickles, his new baby brother, is born. As with all newborns, the child becomes a bane to Tommy and the rest of his Rugrats gang. So they decide to return Dylan to where he came from, the hospital. But they get lost along the way and get into even more trouble in a nearby forest that has been overtaken by circus monkeys. Can the Rugrats find their way home and can Tommy and Dylan get along? Find out in Rugrats the Movie. We have uh, one little game that we play before we're going to get into the show proper, which is called The Elevator Pitch. You are trying to sell this concept, this movie, to the executives, and you're trying to convey not just like the narrative, but like the essence, the spirit, and what you think this film is. 
I think it's important too for the listeners that as Kayvon was describing this, Pranit just like blasted back a half a water bottle in preparation. <laughs> like it really feels like he's like, oh shit. Like, okay. Yeah, that I was go. impressive. I did not sign up for this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we'll have to change his diaper. <laughs> All right, we all love modern nostalgia, right? We all love modern nostalgia. We like things from our childhood being modernized. So this is a tale about a bunch of babies, okay? Tommy, Dill, Phil, Chucky, uh, and a story about uh, the world from a baby's point of view. Many hijinks ensue, uh, not to mention monkeys, wolves, bridges, uh, spies, uh, 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 crummy reporters, and uh, a flying pterodactyl. The story is about uh, friendship and and uh, loss of friendship and and changing in your formative years and um, you know what happens when when those around you change and grow up your friends leave you your family might change around you but what that does to a person a person's loneliness and um, uh, so I present to you regrets the movie yeah I'd like to hear more about how bridges are a selling point. <laughs> <laughs> We got everything you need. We got uh, action. We got uh, we bridges. Got action. <laughs> we got <laughs> short stairwells, bridges. I got a roof. <laughs> and formative years being one and a half, two. Formative years in this baby's yes, in this point of view from the, from the baby's point of view, we're talking. They're they're easily they think they're probably like I would say twenty twenty one. I would say yeah right? yeah. Right. yeah. Their skulls yeah. are yeah. very yeah. soft. Young adult formative years. Very soft yes. skulls yeah. still. The perspective of the three-year-old who's like, yeah, I don't roll with my old crew anymore. <laughs> I've changed. I've they changed. That, yeah, I've outgrew them. I've changed, man. <laughs> what are you worried about him for? He's the one who's going to let you get eaten by a fish. So before we jump into our first No Way, we're going to establish the givens for Rugrats the movie. The first given is going to be that babies can do this. There's clearly some sort of secret language. There's some sort of Stewie Griffin effect going on here. The babies have a high level of communication. They're agile. It's really quite amazing. We're just going to have abs. They've got abs. Some of them are uh, (laughs) deeply um, intelligent. So, yeah, so we're just accepting babies, baby stuff. That's good. Um, The second one is going to be kind of under the umbrella of the father's technology. We're not going to question or go down the rabbit hole of his inventions. Um, And the other thing, which is kind of a minor, a minor one, it's a world one, but it was almost our biggest no way, quite frankly, is the ineptitude and inefficiency of the police in this world. Do you feel there's any givens in the film that we didn't express or you're like, I hear those. I also think like this is a rule of the world. I mean, I think I think I think Kayvon pretty much covered it. The first the first one being the babies are the central figures. And we know that babies don't talk or behave in this manner. So that's the biggest given. And and, uh, that's the biggest rule that the whole world has is that these babies have heightened circumstances and heightened our our, uh, understatement. But yes, (laughs) let's 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 get into the film Rugrats, the movie. Hang on to your diapers, babies. We're going in. All right, so uh, uh, I'm going to start with our first No Way, and we're actually going to watch two clips to discuss this one. The first is kind of more of a setup of the context, and so at about nine and a half minutes in or so, uh, we see Dee Dee's baby shower taking place. Thank you for inviting me to your baby shower, Mrs. Pickles. 
and we see how close-knit and how supportive the family and the community of friends are in terms of helping each other out with their kids, uh, supporting each other in this moment of time. Gosh, you could hardly tell she's gay in any way. <gasps> oh, don't worry. I mean, you know, from behind. Um, there's all these gifts. One thing that's remarkable that happens is that as soon as Dee Dee's water breaks, uh, it, like, goes into plan mode, execution mode immediately. Like, they have rehearsed, seemingly, a plan to... Uh, help supporter in this moment. It is such a tight knit group. Uh, let's just watch that clip here. Hey, it's time. It's time. Oh boy. Oh, everybody to your stations, people. All right, nice. So I got I got no issue with that. First of all, that's the first clip. Yes. What a beautiful community helping people, and you're fine with the goat. A goat. Oh, mom, you shouldn't have. Most families have a family goat, I find. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I believe that's all of hard them. Regina coming <laughs> through. That's some hard Regina. <laughs> How did you guys get your milk? We had a milk goat. Except maybe yak, but you try finding good yak these days. So now we're going to go to about 15 minutes and a half into the movie. Okay, in the second scene, we're going to be seeing the Pickles family four weeks later after the birth, and we're getting to see how the family's doing. What are we gonna do? He hasn't stopped crying since we brought him home. Somehow it's not as much fun around here anymore. Yeah, what's your brother so sad about? My no way is that four weeks after Dee Dee has Dill, the newborn baby, that her and Stu are taking care of not only newborn baby Dill, but also their son Tommy, their friend's family's kid Chucky, Lil and Phil... As well as Angelica's even there, their their niece. Grandpa's kind of there as well, and the dog. What I don't believe is that, well, my no way is that this supportive and close-knit community of friends and family would then be willing to say, you also have to take care of our kids, even though you clearly are struggling with your newborn right now. Now, sweetheart, daddy's got to put in a little overtime today so that mommy won't be so ashamed of his quarterly earnings. Hi, Uncle Stu. Incredibly inconsiderate, just four weeks later. Like, very, very inconsiderate. Yeah, just very... For a group for a group that we have seen, when it comes time to, like, care for each other, they are on it. They will do... They like they rehearse this stuff to make sure everyone's Like a fire drill. Yeah. And yeah, they yeah, just yeah. drop off all their kids there regardless. Hmm. I will, I will say, I will say, yes, no way in terms of the time span of, uh, of, you know, uh, within four weeks, how people can suddenly change so quickly and then just be like, you know what? It's fine. It's been two weeks. Here you go. Here are my children. Here's a goat. Here's the, you know, here's my other older cousin as well to take care of everybody. Yeah. Um, so yes, I agree. I do think it's a little, uh, far-fetched. However, and again, this is just, I can only speak from with my experience because, uh, when I was born and living in, in Mumbai, uh, uh, my mom, uh, was taking care of me, um, was also under the care. She also was taking care of like four or five other cousins as well at the same time, because apparently, uh, the men in the house would go to work. That's just how it was. And then she was the only one there. The other wives that were in the family, cause I lived in an extended family, uh, didn't live, uh, in the same, uh, building or whatever. And so they also had other jobs. And so it was my mother's responsibility and my grandma to take care of all these other, uh, children. Uh, so I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen. If I'm wrong about this, I might be wrong about this, but theoretically, isn't a mother, like, I don't know, are they, aren't they, aren't they, like, strongest, like, right after birth anyways? Like, don't they have, like, this maternal instinct that kicks in and they're able to take care of a bunch of, a bunch oh, of people? I like that idea that once. they're their strongest. I like that phrasing a lot. Yeah, did you, did you actually know that new mothers of newborns can bench, like, 250, like, without question, no training? 
It's incredible. <laughs> New mom strength is so... People always talk about dad strength. It's like, fuck dad strength. Mom strength is terrifying. It's a rather inconsiderate thing to drop your kids for childcare off at a home where they're sleep deprived and they have a newborn in the first four weeks of this new arrival. And I think I'm not a parent, but I've got friends who are, and I understand that this is a really vulnerable time and like it, they're stretched thin and yes, mom can bench 250, but she's still tie tie. So, you <laughs> know, it's, it's a very vulnerable time and they're just trying to make it through. Most people drop off meals this community dropped off kids. Um, so, But you put a great point forward of saying, well, hey, from my experience growing up, this is actually something that, that happened. And, and I'm curious, though, is that, but do we have to question the community's means? Now, it seems to me like they're wealthy. This seems like a privileged community. They seem what well, they seem middle class. They seem middle class, right? Like you're you you're talking about Stu and Didi? They seem middle class, yes. but Stu's brother, that family is rich. <laughs> I understand in communities you have to help each other and if they don't have the means to get out external daycare or childcare, yeah, you know, you come together and a certain number of the community takes care of the kids and a bunch of other people go work. This community gives me the vibe that they could afford a babysitter. Dude, Angelica's mom is a boss. Like, Angelica's sh- mom literally orders helicopters in moments notice. She has a mobile phone before they were invented. <laughs> exactly. Hold on, Jonathan. There's an alarming crowd at my in-laws indicating either a yard sale or a family tragedy. But Kayvon brings up a good point because my family definitely did not have the means at the time. Mm-hmm. So they, had to, they were doing it not because they had, cho- they had lack of choices. If we all agree that that they seem like a, a, a group of family members that have the means, if they have the means, they're then yeah. they're intentionally dropping the kids there, even though they could do something else. Angelica's parents, I'm a bit on the the wayside in terms of dropping them off because they do seem selfish, self-absorbed mm. people. So therefore, the most convenient thing for them to do is to keep doing what they were doing because it was working out before. It's the other parents that I'm I'm questioning. I mean, is there something in they're already in the shit? So just what's the difference? We're already going to be swimming in diaper. We're already going to be in full childcare mode over here. The kids are used to hanging out here. They've been here for six seasons. It's gone all. It's gone. Six it's gone so six pretty good so far. Is it? Is, is it? It does feel like the energy is that Stu and Dee Dee are actually the ones instigating, and they're saying no, no, no. It almost feels like they're the ones who are going no, no, no. Keep bringing them. Like it's okay. I know you think we're out, but like keep bringing them over. Or like you know, we want to socialize. Dill. I don't. We make I sure don't Tommy's hear anything Dill. in the film to give evidence to what you said because one of their first lines after four weeks later is, "What are we going to do? What are we gonna do?" <laughs> Stu cries. <laughs> Stu cries. Stu like literally a baby. cries. <laughs> He's yeah. so tired. <laughs> I'm torn on this one. Torn on this one. It's a very good point you bring. This is very, very. Um, it's a good one, Mike. This is a good one that you brought up. I mean, we we all know what the super meta answer is. Is this movie needed a cast, so they, they have the, they have to be in the same room. They have to all be in the same house. Otherwise, we. But they could have said. But they could have said, 
hey, it's the it's it's Saturday when it's less about babysitting the kids and more about we want all the kids to play together. And that's why they're here together. Movie can still happen. I almost would have loved to have seen a mini little storyline where we see how each family has a crisis and have to drop the kid off. And they have this like... Have to drop the kid off. And they're like, off. we yeah. can't take another one. Oh my God, twins. Oh my God. Like if been, That would have been kind of a fun right. thing. But there seems to be a normalization that nothing changed from the newborn to how they did things before to how they do things today and everybody still drops their kids off. And so do we think this community that rallied around Dee Dee at birth, they were there, they had plans, they knew how to be there for her, they took her to the weird-ass hospital, they stayed at the door, they had all the fucking plans in place, that after that, then they were like, cool, and so you're good with childcare still? My, my only theory... Yeah, my only theory, and Kayvon said this, I think it has to be a moment of crisis. It feels it feels like a deleted scene. It feels like there was a moment of crisis for each family, and they had no choice but to drop off these children at the 11th hour. Because I was not given that lovely setup of showing why those kids had to show up at that house that day, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm going to say that I think this is uh, no way. I was on each end of this uh, uh, argument as we went through. This one flowed. This one changed for me. Uh, but after everything that's said, I am going to say it's a no way as well. Yeah, I'm going to say it's a no way as well. No way. Mike, how are you feeling? Uh, your first no way here for Rugrats. You, you, you took the, you got, you got your no way. Yeah, I got my no way, but I don't really feel good about it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the more I think about it, the more I'm like, God, it's so close to getting such a decent description. Like, you're right about the idea of just adding a scene where all the parents are like, shit, we got to drop our kids off today. And we know she's got Dill, but like, they all know that house. It would be great if they all had a reason. And then it would get this other cool storyline going where all the parents feel a little bit of guilt because that's the day their kids go missing. And they're like, fuck, we're neglectful parents. Oh, my God. Yeah, they're like, they put it all on stew. And then should we rewrite this film and call it Gone Rugrats Gone? Call Igor. Call (laughs) Igor right now. Call Igor. Gone Rugrats Gone. Tell us how it feels to know you may never see your children again. Well, uh, okay, there's a start. Um, Marky, and you've got the uh, the old driver's wheel here on round two. Round two. Okay, so I'm taking up the, the reins on the no way number two here. And the setup to my no way is a scene at approximately 2240 into the movie where Dylan and Tommy get into a heated argument over the teddy bear. <laughs> resulting in Tommy and Dill both having meltdowns. And now Stu, their father, comes along and tries to cool down the situation. So in doing this, Stu takes Tommy downstairs and hands him over a family heirloom. We weren't going to give you this until you were a little bit older, but I think now's the right time. Shiny, huh? A golden antique watch in order to appease Tommy. I know I can trust that you'll stick by Dill's side and be a swell big brother. My no way is that Stu the father would give his two-year-old that he hasn't even given pants to yet a precious, fragile family heirloom. There is no way that's happening. This kid is probably going to eat it. He's going to break it. And we're going to see later in the movie that the year on this watch that he gives his son uh, is somewhere in the 1800s. 
So this thing is an actual antique. And I, the last thing I would do with a family heirloom is give it to about a two-year-old. There is no way. There is way, Markin. There is way. <laughs> Ooh. Give me the way. You're talking about a father who is incredibly sleep-deprived, <laughs> questioning his existence, <laughs> questioning whether he wants to be a father or not, with a crying baby who has deafened his eardrums for the past four weeks, akin to a war prisoner in Vietnam. <laughs> he is... He is... Broken? He is... <laughs> broken. He's a broken shell of a human being. And so... He would do something as ridiculous as giving his child an antique family heirloom, which he might question down the road. I'm not saying that he won't when rational thought occurs, <laughs> but, but it is important to take into context the sequence of events and the time that this event is taking place in. The thing that's in the face of this for me is he's able to recognize, he says out loud, I was going to give this to you later. <laughs> But this seems when like the right... I was going to give this to you when you were older, but this seems like the right time. We weren't going to give you this until you were a little bit older, but I think now's the right time. And to me, that <laughs> has an awareness around it of he's like, I was going to wait till you graduated from high school, but mm, two seems good, close. This is just as monumental a moment. <laughs> He seems grounded. He seems very grounded in his presentation of the watch. He's been he's been he's been very hurt by his brother too. Keep in mind, like he's asked, he's told him that he has doesn't even have an income for to deduct taxes from. I mean, that's that really that hurts a man. You can't deduct them if you don't have any income. You think this is a move of pride? I think so. I think this is him. He's gonna. I'm gonna hang gold from my eldest neck <laughs> to show my brother that I'm doing well. Yeah, because he'll be like, what does your daughter have? Oh, that fucking doll that's missing 90% of its hair. You know what my kid has? Mine has, a, mine has an gold. 1800 era gold watch. This is an asset I can sell when I'm in debt. Who's got financial issues now? And this is, uh, if I'm the brother, I'm just being like, you can't even afford pants for your own son. <laughs> because that's that's if this scene was him giving him pants, it works. It's perfect. Is Stu the older brother of his brother? Dynamic? Younger. 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 So he's the dill. Yeah. Of his... Okay. I don't know how that relates to him giving a baby a gold watch. watch. So why is he giving the gold watch? (laughs) Okay, so the last No Way, Praneet actually brought like his own real life experience to kind of try to explain the fact that it could be plausible. And I'm thinking Mm. about this and going like, was we also like part of the big No Way is that we're like, Stu's talking to a baby. But I almost think that's what helps this as a way. Because he realizes he's talking to a baby who has what we can assume is the memory of about five minutes at most kind of thing. So he, well, he assumes. Well, he assumes, right. I mean, we know they're super babies, but Stu doesn't know that. But Dill's making a big commotion. He's got to get Tommy out of there. Also, he's fucking tired of Dill's crying. (laughs) Hey, let's go to the basement for a minute. Takes the kid to the basement. He's got a great excuse in case Dee Dee's like, why aren't you upstairs? The other kid's like, "I'm I'm taking care of Tommy right now. He spends a lot of time down there, gets a chance to relax. Look, I'm giving you this big gift. He realizes he's talking to a baby that understands fucking nothing he's saying, in my opinion. He's just doing it to kill some time, give him the watch, and in his mind, he's probably going to take it back in an hour. But the thing is, that's when the sleep deprivation kicks in, and he forgets, because he fucking forgets that he gave this kid a watch. 100%. But Tommy is a super baby, so he, of course, understands the importance of it. 
I only bring this up because I remember seeing family members do similar things at my house. Like my cousin has like two young kids who are fucking crazy and they'd come over and my dad would be like, hey, I got gifts for you. And he'd give this like three-year-old and a four-year-old motorcycle helmets and the kids would just run and crash each other's heads in the basement. Regina. And at the end of the day, he'd Regina. take the motorcycle, <laughs> Regina, <laughs> and he'd take the motorcycle helmets away because the kids would fucking forget that they had them. And next time they came over, he'd do it again. You two just said something that combined makes sense to me. You, Praneet, you talked about the fact that his brother just recently shamed him and hit his ego. You barely make ends meet now. You've got no insurance, no savings, and another kid on the way. Mike, you just talked about how he's actually really talking to himself because he assumes the baby's not really going to retain this, nor is he probably going to understand the value of the present he's giving. So... When he's doing this pep talk, he's really talking to himself, his inner child, and the issues he's having with his own brother. But sometimes little brothers, they, they aren't everything you'd hope they'd be. That's why big brothers have got to have faith. And this symbolic gesture of the watch is something that he's really trying to heal his own life, his own relationship with his brother, and it's a symbolic thing he's doing quietly. Yes, I, 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 the other thing too, and I will say it's a, fu- a fun fact, and I'm not sure, maybe Mark went through this fun fact already, but, but uh, the original creator of the series was not involved with this particular movie. Um, and when asked about uh, his thoughts on, on the movie, he was uh, very upset and said that the, the animators did not, and the writers did not understand that the worlds needed, needed to be kept separate. That if you actually watch the six seasons, uh, these types of conversations where the adult would talk to the kid would never happen that the that it, the only times the conversations would happen between the adults and the kids would be when they'd be like guys stop fighting or like you know separate the two oh, but like wow. this heart to heart moment that that was a cardinal sin that the original creator thought they broke wow and so in this moment in the scene given the context of it of course if the original creator was involved it would be much more from you know if the dad is saying all that you know it would be from Tommy's point of view like the heightened sort of speech that he gives would be from Tommy's point of view. Yeah. Uh, when in reality, his dad must have just been like, see, look at this. Look at this little shiny thing. You big watch. It's a gold watch. You know, whatever. Yeah. yeah um, it's a real patronizing guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hard one for me to swallow because what the filmmakers have set up here is not that he's delusional, is not that he's talking to himself. He they are trying to get an emotional response from the audience in this point of the story by having a heart-to-heart from dad to son, passing down a family heirloom. If what you're talking about is the answer that we're gonna go with, it just takes out the heart of that entire scene for me and actually takes the importance away from that heirloom and from that relationship that he's establishing with his dad and with his own brother and that all if if it's just him goo goo gaga to 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 tommy i just think that's not what they were going for in that moment and i think that the the heart of that scene is what we're talking about and that is the no way for me and kind of still remains the no way for me because of what their intention was in the moment i think now we're trying to go we're trying to take this conversation away from i think what the heart of that scene is supposed to be in the context of this film 
Yeah, but man, we're not here to talk about feelings. We're here to talk about facts. And the facts of the thing is, <laughs> sorry, man, we're not here to talk about your feelings. I don't care about how good the scene makes you feel. The only way that shit makes sense is if that guy's got some serious issues with his brother and he hasn't slept in three weeks. And now I understand why he gives that watch away to a kid who runs around in a diaper. Okay, fine. I'm staying no way on this and I'm taking the loss here. But during that speech in the recording and on the podcast, can you put some really nice music underneath that? Yeah, I'll, under, I'll underscore yeah, you. Sure. It was very, very inspirational. Honestly, Thank like you. based off what Pranit said and even like the, the more we discuss that scene, it actually plays out really beautifully. Kind of like those scenes when someone talks to someone in a coma and they're like, I know you can't hear this, but I want to tell you some things. And secretly the person in the coma is like they wake up years later and they're like, I fucking heard every word. Yeah. Like that's what it feels like like that scene just to bring us all into this the final lap here we've got marky and established a no way about the watch all three of us have come in with a way we've used freudian psychology and science to explain this away marky and heart's broken but fuck you that shit's away life uh finds a way That's a way, baby. I love it. We're not here to talk about feelings. We're here to talk about facts. Praneet, kind of related to this, we wanted to discuss, which is not a no way, just something very fun and a, and a kind of a breaking of the world's rules, which is that Dill is four weeks old and can still barely speak any words. Yet those babies straight fresh in the maternity ward sang a fucking song. Like those babies had full ability to speak and understand everything. And the other, like they remembered being in the womb. They were self-aware enough to remember the womb. And Dill is like, what's wrong with Dill? How come at four weeks Dill can't, still can't speak? Can we also mention that he has the strength of an ox and can tear blankets <laughs> oh, in half man. and <laughs> throw? Powerful baby. Face it, Tommy. Having a baby brother just isn't what you expected. Is there something in that... Okay, so they go to the hospital, right? But this place is clearly not a hospital. It is some sort of... Center. It's a Willy Wonka baby factory. Yeah, Something's 100%. going on at this place. I mean, it's not normal. I don't know it's what eugenic shit's they, going on there. They're making some some other the, different kind of. It's the West Edmonton. It's the West Edmonton Mall of baby. <sighs> yeah, uh, yeah. They got dolphins. Yeah, they. <laughs> Okay, so is there something going on at this place where they are creating super babies? Ones can sing, they can talk. They're all going to lip shits. Like mm. that's been that was made very evident in the shower as they all go to lip shits. Now, now, Doctor Lipschitz is the expert. Well, he talks a lot about holistic. He keeps saying holistic, but it definitely doesn't feel holistic. No, no, no. I think he's fucking with DNA. Welcome to the Werner P. Lipschitz Center for Holistic Birthing. Also, the uh, also that uh, Tommy is aware he's bald. And balding, he makes a bald joke. He has major body positivity, though. Hey, like yeah. he's cool with being bald. He uh, when his he, diapers drop. His diaper he's drops, very... and he's like, oh, just airing it out. It's hot, fresh, exploring in the woods all day. Ah, little breeze feels good. It's very uncomfortable because in that scene, Lil is like into his baby she's, dick, and she she's smiles. like, yeah. she's, she's kind of like, okay. <laughs> I thought I was the only one who noticed that. I think she looks over at one of the other kids and gives a look of like, you seeing this? Are you? She looks at her twin brother who is like not interested. And she's like, no, no, don't worry. It's good. Way better than yours. Round three. I'm going to take lead on number three. 
to establish the third and final no way, I am going to show us a clip early in the film, and then I'm going to take us to the end of the film to show my no way. So this first clip we're going to watch is at 16 minutes, 45 seconds into the film. In this scene, you're going to see the um, Russian uh, circus, monkey circus. Direct from Moscow, the Banana Brothers Monkey Circus. Coming to town on their train, apparently two staff members of this circus are having the a brothers. coffee. The brothers are having a coffee at a rest stop when their train is hijacked by the monkeys. I think coffee is better in St. Petersburg. No, it is better in Kiev. Look! The train! Okay, so we just saw the um, Banana Brothers, the Russian leaders of this uh, monkey circus, lose their train to their monkeys, their uh, main, main act, and they've taken the train and they've ridden it, and we've watched a horrendous derailment of that train. They've run off the tracks. It's been a huge crash through the forest. It's quite a big, quite a big event. Now we are going to jump all the way to almost the end of this film at one hour, 10 minutes. The, uh, the kids have been found. They've, they've battled monkeys. They've battled a wolf. There's been the reptar cars helped them in many situations. Tommy and Dill have fixed their relationship. This was all on a bridge. It's all yes. on a bridge. It's all on a bridge. All on a beautiful uh, bridge. Uh, Chucky and Tommy, are, are their friendship's good. Everyone's good. They're all reuniting with their families on this bridge. All the danger is over, and we're watching the reunion of the children and the their family. Oh, Sue, you did it! You found our boys! So we've just seen the reunion scene, the movie's coming to an end, the dangers are past, the wolves are past, the monkeys are, are standing on the bridge. At this moment, uh, a police car rolls up with the Banana Brothers in the back seat to reunite with their monkeys. My no way is that they would fucking be there. There's no way that the police would have the Banana Brothers in the backseat of their cop car and drive them right to the bridge at the moment of the reunion to meet their monkeys, not even near the train derailment. I don't believe or follow how they were standing on the edge of that train platform two days ago and now pull up in the backseat of a police car to be reunited with monkeys that the cops didn't know about. Right. OK. OK. So so if I if I'm just just for clarity, you're saying the timing is your issue. The timing of them coming there. Is I your mean, issue? the time. <laughs> no, than, the like timing. It. The timing is phenomenal. But let's let's put that up to the fates of God sometimes work. My issue right. is that they're being pulled up to an unrelated thing. <laughs> this is about missing kids. And if there's any reason to be called to that spot, it's because the kids have been found. There's no mention or relation to that. The fact that there are monkeys there. <laughs> so why are the Banana Brothers being brought to that spot <laughs> and then miraculously find their monkeys? Why aren't they at the train? <laughs> 
Whew, this is a tough one. I, I hmm. What I'm really trying to negotiate that the police in an area where they're addressing missing children would pull the Banana Brothers up to that spot <laughs> saying we found the kids and some other cop was like, I've got the Banana Bring Brothers. Bring them in. We found the kids. Bring the Banana Bros. Like, why? I have a re- actually, I have a really interesting thought here. It would be a first. <laughs> Angelica says to, to to Grandpa, whatever his name is, take me to the circus. Grandpa, can we go to the circus? She wants to go to the circus. And I think that kids love that circus. And I think, therefore, that these monkeys probably have a lot of experience with kids. They have a lot of experience performing for kids, being around kids. There is a world where they go, hey, we, our monkeys are loose. And someone goes, yeah, we don't have time for that. There's kids missing. And they go, there's kids missing? I guarantee you... Our monkeys will find those kids. I really want to go play with the monkeys. We have a circus of monkeys. These monkeys are highly trained to perform and be around children. If there's children in those woods, our monkeys will find them. And the police are like, are you fucking kidding me? And they're like, we guarantee it. And someone goes, we found the kids. This is your thing. You agreed to this part of the story. Someone said to the banana bros, we found the kids. And they go, our monkeys are there then too. Take us there. That's where our monkeys will be. Mike, we've seen the entire movie. These monkeys terrorize these children. You don't know they the intentions of the monkeys. They get stopped before kids. they ever do. You don't know where they were going to take Dill. Hey, guys, help! There's a Vikings trying to take Tommy's brother! They really just wanted the banana pudding. That's all they wanted. They right? might have taken Dill straight to the fucking train or to other people or to civilization. We don't know that. Tommy stopped the monkeys. They from were doing pulling that. them in a very aggressive, they had mean faces. If That's just how were, you see if, that. You ever see parents grab their kids on the street? But these street? babies have the strength of monkeys. These so babies are also so really strong. <laughs> these monkeys can't be fucking around. If you have a little kid who's about to step onto a freeway, do you gently grab it or do you fucking pull them? You don't care how hard you're yanking on a kid's arm. You're saving so their you, life. That's what okay. these monkeys are doing. Based, like, like, let's break this down. So based on you looking at the Banana Brothers, they yeah. go <laughs> to the cops. And this is what yeah. they say. My monkeys are good with children. No, no, they say our monkeys are missing. And My monkeys say, are missing. And the, and the cops. And the cops say, we don't have time for that shit. We got six missing children. No, 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 no. The monkeys will find the children. I'm sorry, what? The monkeys will find the children. <laughs> What you're saying is that <laughs> the, the, the Banana Brothers say to the police, let's let's okay, let's all agree that the Banana Brothers did go find their derailed train at some point, and the monkeys aren't there. Yeah. So then yeah. they leave the derailed train and they go to the police and they're like, We need to find our monkeys, they're not at the derailed train. And they're like, Cool, well, we yeah. we're a little busy. There are missing children. Yeah, you're right. And they're like, What are you doing about those missing children? And they're like, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> we're not we're kind of phoning it in. I feel like the dad's got it. But um <laughs> This guy's got a pterodactyl bicycle. So then the, the banana brothers are like, Well, we're pretty sure like our monkeys are in the circus and they work with kids a lot or they see kids a lot. So if they saw the kids in the forest, they'd probably be near them. They're not gonna find the kids through the monkeys they're just saying that the monkeys might be near the kids well so then by with that with that thought process then then they were probably just biding their time and then the police said hey we found the children and they said can we get a ride with you guys to see if the monkeys are there and then (laughs) then so good at the cops are like yeah yeah, sure we have all these parents having a reunion with their lost kids yeah let's bring the banana bros down because their monkeys (laughs) might be there that's a tough one that's a (laughs) that's a tough one pretty of like these two guys being like 
We found the kids. It's like, hey, can we get a ride? <laughs> Why? It's so we dumb. Think our monkeys are there. That's monkeys so dumb. But you know what? But again, I think the cops could use that information in a good way. And they could say like, because listen, yeah, you're trying yeah. to find six babies. That's tough to see. You're trying to find 12 monkeys in a forest that doesn't normally have monkeys. That's easier to spot. Now, you're right. The police are doing nothing regardless to find any of them. But they were looking I to do help out think in some way. That if the Banana Brothers went to the police, which they obviously did, they obviously went to the police because they were having a police car. That they that they told the police we're looking for our monkeys. That's that, that all happens. That's fact in the movie. There is a flaw with Mike's art. I, I understand. I get where you're coming. You're from. You're trying to be uh, on the, my the, side, Pernit. <laughs> yeah, listen. No, I'm on your side. I'm on part. Yes, I'm on your side. The, 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 uh, what I'm saying is, it's very it's very possible that a monkey sighting. Um, uh, as has happened around that same time, and it's not like the police don't talk to each other. There's obviously some sort of aerial communication that says like, "Hey, uh, uh, there's there's missing kids or whatever." And I'm saying around at the same time this is happening, the uh, Banana Brothers are in contact with the police, and the police say, "Well, it seems to me that there's a bunch of missing children, but there also happens to be a, a monkey sighting around the same area. Um, so why don't we, you know, why don't we why don't we go take a look?" Talk me through. That the Banana Brothers are standing in a police station saying, we've lost our monkeys. And the cops go, I know, we saw the train. He's like, okay. <laughs> well, sorry about your yeah, train. Fucking no, you're said, the Banana Bros. Your commercial's on too. So they're like, can you help us go through the forest to find our monkeys? And they go, sorry, it's not a good day. We've lost six kids. There's six kids missing in that forest. At some point, a park ranger or somebody reaches out to the police and says, we've seen we have we've spotted the kids. We know where the kids are. The kids are at this bridge. Some guy in the police station goes, holy shit, we found the, the kids have been spotted. And the Banana Brothers stand up and go, take us. Why? I'm saying in that phone call, the park ranger also said, we found the kids are by the bridge, and for some reason there are also monkeys in this area. Yeah, I mean, I'm with Praneet. What is, what, is, what is stopping them from saying that, like, oh, well, we also saw a monkey. We don't know what to do about it. We need, might need some extra help here to sequester the monkey so we can get them uh, in the proper containment area. Officer Akila, can you give me a rundown of the scene? What's going on there? Can you, get, can you tell me everything you see? Uh, well, there's a bunch of uh, babies by a bridge. We see a, a, a toy a raptor, and and uh, there also happens to be a dead wolf on the by the by the water uh, and an injured dog. And uh, we do see some monkeys that are not native to this forest in the Pacific Northwest uh, that are uh, you know frolicking about in this area. So we're just trying to figure out we need we need more help to absolutely. Monkeys. And there's missing children too. Kayvon, uh, before I make my decision, can we just quickly watch? I just, can we watch that lead up? I just want to see how quickly my my no way is going to hinge on how quickly these banana brothers are there because if it seems like it's you literal, can't think about timing. No, no, timing. no, no. I can though because if it seems like it's literal standby that these banana brothers were one minute away. Let's. I just want to see this clip. I want to see. I, I want to see the monkey sighting here. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Guys, that is, no, so the timing of this is pretty impossible. There, there was a sequence of events. There was a sequence right there. We, there, was no, there was no cartoon timing. That was a sequence of events that was very clear with movement and timing. These guys were 20 seconds away. They were on standby. 
I don't think timing has to be a part of this because <laughs> this is a bit of the cartoon. This is a bit of the film. I, I don't care about how long it took. I really have an issue with that. They were brought there by police <laughs> to that location at all. <laughs> I'm I'm I've just stated based on just watching that clip back and seeing the continuity. I know there's cartoon timing, but the continuity was pretty clear in that clip that we just watched. And that means that these guys were less than 30 seconds away from the site, meaning they were in the forest. They were with the police already searching or on their way before the monkeys were called in. I'm a no way. I started very strongly as a no way as well. But the more I think about it, the more I think about the connection that the Banana Bros monkeys have to this group of lost kids in the forest. And even when it comes to timing, sure, 30 seconds, probably impossible. Timing in 90% of this movie is impossible. But I'm willing to bet that they were still also very close to the forest because they know their monkeys are lost in this forest. I think I think it works out. I think they're the next people to show up. That's the story we're told. We're not told story-wise that they show up at the same time as the parents. We're told they show up after. That's all that matters to me in terms of timing. And then as far as the reality, fuck yeah, they know their monkeys are with those kids because those monkeys love kids. They're circus monkeys. That's why they're there. It's 100% away to me. Mike, what's love look like for you at home? That's what I'm worried about. <laughs> it's, a lot of, it's a lot of stretching my limbs out. <laughs> yeah. a lot stretching of limbs and stealing, stealing food. Yeah. We are pretty split here as a panel. And when we get into this case of that, we're going to let the guest be the tiebreaker in these situations. So we're minusing Kayvon's opinion because this is his own no way. We are tied technically right now with Mike and I. So you are the deciding factor for this film. What's your opinion? Throw away the convenient plot timing. Throw away the idea that the cops have been utterly useless as this, this entire movie, because that's a bigger issue on its own, whether the police are, would, would even be in a position to help these, these Banana Brothers. I'm saying that it works out. I'm saying that there was a monkey sighting. I'm saying that because of this monkey sighting, the Banana Brothers were in that area searching anyways. The cops brought them to the location, uh, and it was the next logical thing to happen after the families reunited with the children. And I, and I do like Mike's argument a little bit. I'm not saying... I'm not going fully on the whole, you know, circus monkeys. Hey, you're children, allowed to just dip you your know. toes in, man. You just want to dip your yeah, toes. Yeah, so I'm dipping. I'm, I'm dipping happy. in a little bit. I'm dipping in a little bit because I like the I like the creativity of that. I think it's something, you know. And uh, but but I I I'm for those reasons I'm saying, way life uh, finds a way. Absolutely, the Rugrats movie is a way. Good job, you guys. Are no ways didn't prevail but the film did Mo the, the movies the movies away in all your hearts you know that well that's a great transition to marky and what's our next our last phase here so we just do the funnel meter out of a hundred percent how much did you enjoy this movie rugrats i loved it as a kid it was one of my favorite series uh watching this back i did really enjoy it uh, there's a lot of things that jogged my memory the songs all came back to me and I was like oh my gosh yes uh but I is it the most amazing film to me at the end of the day not really there's a lot more animated films at the time that I think I do love better so my funnel meter I'm gonna give it a nice 65 I was at a hundred and ten percent enjoyment meter in the first 
five or four minutes of this film because I was like, oh shit, that music and and oh yeah, their imagination is so incredible and what they see is Indiana Jones, but it's just the fridge trying to get the ice cream. I was so in. And then it went down. It went downhill for me. I missed the baby filter of what the world looked like. The film became very real. I missed the idea. I was hoping for more of those Indiana Jones imagination scenes that that the whole adventure, we're seeing it through the baby's eyes. I kind of wasn't able to have as much joy as I did off the top, and it hit me. So I'm, I'm actually going to go 55%, sadly. I'm going to throw like a like a 70 at it, I'd say. Honestly, I went through, kind of like Cave, I went through leaps and valleys. I started off loving it, the small screen, the, the sound, oh my gosh. And then like 10 minutes in, I felt like fucking stew, where I was like, if I hear another baby voice or another baby singing or crying, like, fuck me. I got to watch an hour of this. And then there were some moments that totally redeemed that, which I love. There was enough redeeming moments of like actual good comedy and some real heartfelt moments. Like with the dog, the dog saving the day was, I was like, fuck, is Spike dead? Like, I don't remember how this movie goes. I don't think they're going to do that, but it's like, okay, well, it started higher. I'd leave it at a seven at the end. I'm going to give it the same score as Mike, a 70. I think uh, there were moments where I was just like, oh my God, I remember this. So I remember how I felt about her. I remember how touched I was when I first saw it. And and luckily those moments, weirdly still, I still felt. So there's nothing that kind of got eroded as an adult. I think uh, the moment with the dog, with Spike, um, with the, their little lullabies that they sing to each other, that moment oh, got that's me cute. as well. You know, that was, oh, God, that was a really cute, nice, that was yeah. a really cute lullaby. But I think overall, uh, I think it has a lot of relatable themes. I think uh, it was the perfect antidote for uh, uh, sort of a, you know, a a weary pandemic day off that I had today. It was a good way to just kind of, you know, just enjoy. And so for all those reasons, you know what? I'm going to go 75. I'm going to go 75. Nice. He worked. A little 5% boost. I'm going to go 75. I would give Rugrats, not the film, but Rugrats, like 98%. Thank you, Praneet, thanks so much for spending all this time with us. You're so gracious and generous with your time. I know you've got like an early morning on set tomorrow. So that was so lovely of you to take the time this evening to just fucking hang out and we'll talk about movies with us. So we appreciate it. Hey, yeah. it's my favorite thing to do in the world is to talk about movies oh, and man. talk about stories. So uh, thank you guys so much for having me. And this was uh, such a pleasure. And Kayvon, please remember this for next Who? time. So that Who? Who? Yeah, cave on. When somebody <laughs> Who's talking? New new phone, who dis? Thanks for listening to this episode of the No Way Podcast. No Way is produced by Marky and Tarasiak, Kayvon Koshkam, and Mike Gill with the help of Speakeasy Theater and the Cinematics Creation Company. The show is edited by Kayvon Koshkam with original music by Ben Elliott. The No Way podcast is produced on the unceded lands of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh people. Please join us next Friday for another blockbuster episode of No Way. And make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook, at No Way Podcast, and Twitter, at No Way Pod. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you next time at the movies. <laughs>